going on everybody we're here to talk about the UFC 223 main card portion of the card going down April 7th in Brooklyn it's going to be Habib Nurmagomedov versus Max Bless Holloway for the lightweight championship it'll also be Rose Namajunas versus Joanna Jacek for in the rematch for the strawweight title in which Rose defeated uh, Joanna in their last fight we're also going to be talking about Hanato Mo or Carnero versus uh Calvin Cater, Anthony Pettis versus Michael Chiesa, and then the first fight on the card leading off with Al Iaquinta and uh, Paul Felder. So it's an exciting night of fights. We'll just go over the predictions for the main card. I'll briefly go over the rest of the card with some interesting matchups and just, you know, quick one-off uh, predictions with those uh, fights going down as well. But uh, let's get started with the first fight, the or the last fight of the night, which will be Max Holloway, the defending 145-pound champion, who won't be defending the title in this fight. He will actually be fighting to uh, challenge for the 155-pound title against Habib Nurmagomedov. So let's, our, let's address this first off. A lot of people are very confused about what's going on here with the 155-pound title. The reason why is because you have a champion in Conor McGregor that's not fighting for this title. And then you have an interim champion in Tony Ferguson who had to pull out. So people are starting to freak out and go, well, what the heck is going on with the title? This is what's going on with the title, y'all. I think Eddie Alvarez was correct when he was on the MMA Hour a few months ago. And Ariel Hawani asked him, what do you think's going on with this title? Does it make sense? And he goes, look, this is what the UFC is doing. They're preparing themselves to still have a champion just in case this fight does not go on. And I think that exactly happened in this case. What they wanted to do is they wanted to wait to strip Conor McGregor of the title until after this fight took place. They wanted to determine that they would actually have a champion with this fight going on. They did not want to vacate or strip the title from Connor and then have this fight fall through and then there'd be just no champion and it'd be a vacant title. That would be the worst case scenario for them. So in this case, what's going to happen in my belief, it is my belief that what's going to happen is as soon as Habib and Max Holloway step into the cage and that bell goes off for them to start fighting, Connor will no longer be the lightweight champion, and Tony Ferguson will no longer be the interim lightweight champion. The winner of this fight will go on to be the undisputed 155-pound champion. And a lot of people are, are super confused about this. I understand why. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but... In my opinion, it actually did make a little bit of sense. It was a little bit of an insurance plan for the UFC. The reason being is because they knew that this fight had fallen through three times before. And if it had done so a fourth time and they weren't able to find a guy like Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, and so many others that were willing to replace and step in on a moment's notice, uh, you know, just one week before the fight, then they wouldn't have any champion at all. And that's just a terrible, terrible look for them. If this fight had fallen through, let's say this fight still falls through. Let's say Max Holloway or Habib or both are not able to make the fight on Saturday night. Then you still have a lightweight champion. I believe that's what their plan is and that's what they did to make sure to ensure that they do have a lightweight champion at the end of the night. Okay, so let's get into the fight and how this fight breaks down. There's a lot of unknowns with this fight so far. So 
<clears throat> the reason being is because Max Holloway has not fought a grappler type like a Habib Nurmagomedov. On the other hand, it's my belief that Habib has never fought a guy that's uh, been as polished a striker as a Max Holloway. The reason being is you go, well, Edson Barboza is a really polished striker. Michael Johnson was a really polished striker. Rafael Dos Anjos, great striker. They are good strikers in their own right, but I believe that Max Holloway is in another level into his own. I think that Edson Barboza is a fantastic striker, but he uses kicks mainly. He's not a very great boxer. Max Holloway's game is particularly boxing. That's what he uses. He's far better uh, boxer than Edson Barboza is. Michael Johnson has a lot of athletic talent to go with his striking, but I don't think he has the same fight IQ, the same understanding of range, the same understanding of uh, patience that uh, Max Holloway does, and, and I don't know that he knows how to pick his shots the same way that Max does. And as for Rafael Dos Anjos, Rafael is the type of striker where if he is able to pressure you, he's able to create openings, and along with his grappling, is able to get you you to start thinking, overthinking. You drop your hands a little bit because you're anticipating the takedown. He mixes it up very well with his kicks. But I would suggest that Max Holloway steps in a boxing ring with Rafael Dos Anjos. I would feel very confident in him winning a decisive victory in a boxing match. Okay, so this is not a boxing match. But the reason I bring this up is because that's all you really need to beat Habib Nurmagomedov when it comes to the stand to the standing game in mixed martial arts. You wouldn't really want to use your kicks too much because you don't really want to give him the opportunity to, to use limbs against you. I do believe that Max Holloway has a significant advantage in the striking realm here, especially because the type of striking that he do does use, which is that boxing style, is not going to do a whole lot to to help Habib in assisting him getting those takedowns. Now, the one area where it becomes very questionable is how does Max Holloway fight going backwards? Does he, Is he going to be as accurate? Is he going to be as active and as powerful and as efficient and accurate with his strikes if he's going backwards? The reason I ask that is because if you look at Max Holloway's fights, he's always right in the face of his opponent. He's the one coming forward. He's the one with the pressure. Habib is the one that also pressures. So these two fighters are both fighters that come forward with relentless pressure and don't let up on their opponents. So that's going to be the first key to this fight. Who is going to be able to... Um, impose their will as far as their range and as far as their movement goes because if Habib is able to pressure Holloway the same way that he did to like an Edson and some of these other guys it could become real interesting and that's going to put Holloway in a position that he hasn't faced in a long in quite some time I do believe that with Holloway's movements he's able to anticipate the forward movement I do believe that he's able to uh, see the openings especially the type of openings that Habib has because he leaves himself very vulnerable for to take uh, counter shots when he does move forward, especially when he's throwing some wild stuff of his own. Max Holloway has a great chin, so he's not really too afraid to take some of those power shots from Habib. <coughs> Obviously, the real key here is going to be can Khabib Nurmagomedov get the fight to the ground? If he is able to get the fight to the ground, that's going to uh, suggest a lot of trouble for Max Holloway. But I do believe that Holloway, though he will get taken down 
at least once in the first round. I think he'll keep it standing long enough to land some of his own shots to start to, um, you know, impose his own game plan. And I think a very big key here is going to be the way that he continues to fight with his boxing. He usually keeps his hands down a little bit up here or just down, like, right near, near his waist as well. He stands very heavy on his uh, front leg. I think that those things actually will assist him in defending the takedown because he'll always he'll already be in a position to where he's able to defend the takedown. He re reacts very well to takedown attempts as well. Um, the struggle here is going to be seeing if he can really defend the takedowns the way he did against uh, Ricardo Lamas when they got up against the cage. That's where Habib Nurmagomedov likes to do his work. This is why it becomes very important to see who's able to impose their uh, game plan quicker and who's able to take the control of the center of the octagon. Um, the reason being is because Habib does definitely like to come forward, push you up against the cage, and then likes to uh, grind you out on the ground against the fence as well. He doesn't really do a lot of his takedown work in the middle of the octagon. I believe that Holloway would be able to defend against takedowns like that. The other thing that is concerning for Habib, though, is that in the Ricardo Lamas fight, if you take a look at it, uh, Holloway puts himself in really good position to really get, get a hold of that neck and try to threaten with that guillotine. So Habib is going to have to be careful to make sure that he doesn't get caught and that he doesn't leave his neck wide out in the open when he is going for some of those takedowns. I think he's a lot smarter than that. I don't think he would get in, get caught in that type of submission. So... With that being said, I do believe the first round is going to be a mix of success for both guys. I think because they have such significant advantages in two different areas. So where I really think this fight is going to come down to is who has the uh, better attrition in this fight. Who's able to go longer? Who's able to... Um, come out on top with their conditioning and this is where six days notice Max Holloway coming off of an injury how well conditioned is he really George Lockhart saying that he is going to have the the record high for them for the most weight being cut in one in like I don't know six days for Max Holloway that's going to be a record on his uh on his work so if that's the case how conditioned can we expect Max Holloway to be in this fight? And that's really the key. If he's going to be prime Max Holloway condition, I would expect that Holloway, over the course of this fight, would be able to attack the body, um, pitter-pat on you know his boxing as well, especially landing some of those power shots whenever uh, he feels necessary and when he feels that he's not going to get taken down. And I th would suggest that, over about four rounds, he would be able to start wearing on Habib and suggest that he would actually finish Habib in that fourth round. On the other hand, though, you could definitely make the argument that Habib is going to go wear on Max Holloway, especially a Max Holloway six days notice coming off an ankle injury. Um, <clears throat> maybe not be in the best conditioning in his life because he's just been cutting weight for these six days and how much training has he really been getting in. I definitely understand that argument too. That's why I definitely would like to see this fight take place with a full training camp for both guys. If it was a full training camp, I would actually pretty confidently say that Max Holloway is going to take the win here. I believe that there's two really 
tough matchups for Habib Nurmagomedov, and that's Max Holloway and Conor McGregor. The reason being is their boxing is so good, so fluid. Their movement and defensive movement is very good as well. I don't think that either is going to go into a fight with Habib and not get taken down at all. But I do believe that they will make their shots count and matter, especially the shots that they do get because they're two of the most accurate boxer strikers in the UFC at this point in time. They're very intelligent. And for that reason, even though I have doubts about the conditioning of Max Holloway with all the factors that are coming into this fight, especially considering that Habib should be on point with this fight, I'm going to go ahead and still take Max Holloway fourth round TKO. The reason being is I think that he will be able to withstand enough of Habib's wrestling. I think that his distance management is going to be on a much higher quality than, say, a Michael Johnson or an Edson Barboza. I don't think that he's going to get as panicky as Edson Barboza did in their fight against Habib. Edson did look like he was comfortable throwing his kicks, but he also looked very panicky going backwards. I don't think he had a lot of experience with that. I think Holloway on the other end will accept that he's going to have to go backwards, but will also accept that he's going to have a lot of opportunities to really uh, attack the body as well as the head of Habib. I think that that's going to wear on Habib a little bit. And Habib did slow down a little bit in that third round in the Edson Barboza fight. The issue was is that Edson had slowed down significantly more because he had taken way too much punishment. I think Holloway is a little bit slicker on the ground than most people are going to give him credit for because we haven't seen him there in quite some time. I think he will have some ability to uh, create some scrambles on the ground. I don't know how effective he'll be. But I think more than anything, it'll allow himself not to let Habib get into a position where he's just ground and pounding for two straight minutes and really wearing on him. I think if he can create scrambles to where Habib's not really having the opportunity to punch him uh, over and over again relentlessly, it, at least make both of the guys work, it's going to make both guys tired. But if he can get to that third round, I think that's when Habib will start to slow down a little bit. Holloway's striking usually picks up as the fight goes along, and I think that that's going to be the key to this fight. Holloway wins fourth round TKO, goes on to be to become the new lightweight champion and the second person ever behind Conor McGregor to hold two belts in two different weight classes at the same time, and goes on to make a super fight, a super rematch with Conor McGregor for the lightweight championship. So that's how I see it going down. Let me know what you think of those in the comments, and then um, let's get, move on to our next fight. All right, so next fight is going to be Rose Namajunas versus... Um, Joanna Jacek, of course, the former strawweight champion, the once former dominant strawweight champion of this weight class. Rose Namajunas, the young gun coming up, had had a title opportunity before against Carla Esparza. Came up a little bit too short. It was a little bit too soon for her to face that elite of competition, but she has really improved since then. This is just about, I'm just looking at the main card right here on my laptop. This is probably the toughest fight for me to call. I, I know there's a lot of tough matchups on this main card, but the reason being is because 
going into that first fight, just like many others, people thought, okay, Rose will win this fight and has a definite opportunity if she's able to get it to the ground. She's extremely slick on the ground, has great uh, jujitsu, has good top control, was able to submit uh, girls like Michelle Watterson, who's very well versed on the ground as well. So she's very slick there, has a lot of good weapons, and can find some really nice openings on the ground. She also has some good ground and pound as well. So she's very well versed if it does get down to the ground. But the question was, is how does she get Joanna there? Because Joanna has had impeccable takedown defense to this point in her career. She did struggle a little bit against Claudia Gadelia. Um, you know, but she was able to get back up and withstand, and uh, with her cardio, was able to outlast Claudia until the third round and really turn it on with her striking. So I think the cardio is pretty even, but what was shocking about that first fight was that Rose Namajunas used her striking to defeat Joanna Janjacek. Part of this is that I think that Rose really shocked Joanna with her length and her range and uh, with her understanding of range, and she really had a good understanding of how to hit and how to attack Joanna Janjacek. It's very difficult to decide if Joanna is going to be able to make those adjustments, but being the world-class striker that she is, I just have to put some confidence into her saying, I still feel that if they were in a straight uh, striking competition that Joanna Janjacek would win and for that reason I have to take Joanna in this fight it's going to be very very interesting to see if she's able to make the adjustments and is able to close the range between her and Rose I think that that's what she has to do in this fight I think that she should actually get in close should trust in her takedown defense should trust that Rose is not going to be able to get her down to the ground and she should just start lighting her up with some boxing combinations and shouldn't really let Rose get comfortable on the outside side. I think that that's what happened in the first fight, and Joanna was struggling to f to find her shots, was struggling to find her rhythm a little bit, and in doing so, um, was not able to get off a lot of offense, and really suffered from um, from Rose having her distant management as well as she did. Um, other thing is, how serious do we take the weight-cutting issues of Joanna Janjacek for that first fight? If there were some real issues that can do some, um, that can have a negative effect on a fighter being able to take some punishment as far as uh, taking any type of shots, right? So if she had been really, really negatively affected by that, it definitely could affect her ability to take those shots. If she has a very clean weight cut where she's not feeling so drained this time around and she's feeling good, she recovers a lot better, she doesn't put her body through that type of damage, what will the, that do to her ability to take a shot as well? Um, the counter argument against that is that Kovalkiewicz in the past has rocked Joanna. I, I believe uh, Valerie Letourneau even rocked Joanna, and it seems and appears that Rose Namajunas has serious actual power in her striking. It's not a fluke. It's not a joke. Rose Namajunas is one of the best at actually finishing fighters in that strawweight division. So this is going to be a very interesting fight nonetheless. I just have to believe that the more seasoned striker, more experienced striker, I don't see that this is going to go to the ground too often. If it does, I still can 
see Rose absolutely winning this fight. Even if it stays standing, if Joanna hasn't made the proper adjustments, then I could still see Rose winning this fight as well. But I just have to believe, again, Joanna has been striking for so long. I believe she will make the proper adjustments. I think it'll be a little bit of a dogfight, a very close fight. I do believe that Joanna Jacek wins by unanimous decision. Um three rounds to two, and then they go on to make that trilogy fight sometime down the road. So that's what my thoughts are for Joanna Jacek versus Rose Namajunas. I see this becoming turning into a trilogy, whether that happens the next fight or two fights down the road. I think that these two fighters are very well matched up, and um, let's see what we, we can find out about Rose. She's always improving. That's one of the things that you can't count Rose out for is because... She is always really improving with how young she still is. And I think she's at that point in her career where she's learned so many different techniques, but now she's starting to put it together and say, okay, this is what I use against this type of fighter. This is what I use against this grappling type of fighter. I know exactly what my game plan is now. I'm not so much experimenting anymore. Now I'm just refining my tools and, um, you know, getting better at my craft. But... Nonetheless, I've got Joanna in that fight, but definitely would not be surprised to see Rose defend her title and go on to become even a bigger superstar in the strawweight division. Okay, next fight is Hanato Carnero against Calvin Cater. So this is Moicano versus Calvin Cater. It, this is a very intriguing fight. Not a fight that is on the minds of a lot of people as of yet, but Carnero coming off a loss over Brian Ortega, but... His previous wins, he was coming off a previous win over Jeremy Stevens and had um and had an eleven and O record up until that point. So he was undefeated going into that Brian Ortega fight. Very ta talented Muay Thai striker. The thing that bothers me about Moicano and the thing that I think is going to trouble him a little bit in this Calvin Cater fight, uh, Calvin Cater also coming off an impressive win against Shane Burgos and then Andre Touchy-Feely in his first two UFC fights. The thing that I think Cater will have an advantage in in this fight is that Moicano does not have the purest of boxing strikes. He comes out a little while, throws his hooks a little uh, a little wild, has a little bit of a wind-up to them. You can kind of see them coming. He's very quick with his hands, but I would like to see him be a lot more technical with his, with his boxing because I think that if he were to shore that up a little bit, he'd be very dangerous, and he's got extremely quick hands that would be probably faster than Calvin Cater's. But Cater on the other hand, has very clean boxing. He's not the most athletic. He doesn't have the quick twitch much muscles that I believe that Moicano does. But he was able to just jab Shane Burgos to death, really use his straights very effectively, and over the, the course of the fight was able to wear him down and wear that chin down enough to where he could land some real da damage in that third round. Even though in the second round, Burgos was coming back, landing to the body a little bit more, and that's where Calvin Cater is going to really have to watch it in this fight. That is the key to this fight. If Moicano starts using his Muay Thai kicks to the body and to the, and to the legs of Cater, that could... Uh, spell real trouble for Calvin Cater, but I don't believe that that's going to happen. I believe that Moicano does like to box a little bit too much, and that his best weapons are actually his kicks. 
If he does use those kicks to the body of Cater, I believe that he'll start to slow down. His boxing won't be as crisp, and Moicano at that point in time can use his hands to really light him up and really get some of those power shots off that may come out a little wild, that may leave himself open for counters, but if you've got a tired opponent, you don't really have to be too concerned about the counters as much as you would in the first round when the guy is fresh. But again, Moicano... I, I, I took a look at some of his past fights. He's a very impressive striker, but I definitely would like to see him use those kicks a lot more. I just don't believe that he will. For that reason, I believe Calvin, with his pure striking, with his pure uh, boxing ability, with that jab, that clean jab, the, the real clean straights that he lands, the, his ability to see those counter shots and really take advantage of them when guys leave openings, I think that will really assist him in this fight. The fact that he stays um, very technical with that boxing, I believe that this will help him win this fight in a uh, three-round decision, a uh, split decision, I believe. I think it's going to be a very close fight, especially if Moicano is able to turn it up with his strike and really be diverse the way that he should be. I think that Moicano could be a very dangerous fighter for anyone in this division, this division if he puts it all together if he starts landing you know one two and then ending with a uh, kick on his combos I think that he should just do that all day and just light people up from the body to the legs to the head um I don't like to see him really rely too much on his uh boxing as much now I will say that <clears throat> The last fight I watched of Moicano was against Brian Ortega. Perhaps one of the reasons why he wasn't kicking as much was because he did not want to get taken down by Brian. So I could be wrong in that he's not going to kick that often here in this fight. But if if that's the case, he'll go ahead and win this fight. But again, I'll take Calvin Cater. I think that he'll win this fight um, three, two rounds to one. Uh, I think it'll be a split decision, very close fight. But this could be a very intriguing, fun, entertaining fight that a lot of fans aren't really looking at. This could be potentially your fight of the night. These two guys really like to strike a lot, don't really go to the ground too much. These two guys, I believe, are both ranked in the featherweight division, just not very well known at this point. But the winner of this fight will have a little bit of momentum going forward. It'll be really interesting to see who they match up with next going on. Alright, so the next fight on the card, let's see here. That's going to be Anthony Showtime Pettis versus Michael Chiesa. Another very intriguing fight. A tough one to call, but I think I'm going to go Anthony Pettis in this fight. The reason being is because Chiesa, in most of his uh, career, has had a real advantage on the ground and with his submissions. I just feel that Anthony Pettis, for as much of a rough go he's had lately in his career. So let's take a look at Anthony Pettis' uh, record. He lost to Dustin Poirier, won against Miller, lost against Max Holloway, won against Oliveira, and then before that win against Oliveira, had three straight losses to the likes of Edson Barboza, Eddie Alvarez, and Rafael Dos Anjos. So he's had a rough go in his last, let's see, four, seven fights. So it's been tough for him, but I think he's extremely slick on the ground still, has has great ability to scramble and, and really battle with the best of them on the ground. I actually 
think that he poses a little bit more of a danger when he gets to the ground. He really throws up those legs very quickly, looks for arm bars, looks for triangle chokes. Chiesa very well versed on the ground as well, but I just think that this will be a fight that if he gets to the ground, it's going to be extremely entertaining. One of those rare grappling matches that will actually come off as being very fan-friendly because there's going to be so much action down there. I don't think that it will stay down there for very long. Both guys will threaten with submissions, uh, you know, battle for position, and then get back up to the feet. Neither one is a extremely impressive grappler, but I do believe Kiesa will have the ability to take Anthony to the ground, so look for that to happen. But in the end, I don't think Michael Kiesa has the type of top game that will overwhelm Anthony Pettis as far as his strength goes, the same way that a Rafael dos Andres just overwhelmed him with his ability to control Anthony on the ground and just really wear him out. I think that Anthony, again, is going to find his openings to get back up or switch position on him, you know, maybe uh, get some sweeps involved as well. And then once they get to the feet, even though Chiesa has some clean boxing of his own, I just think that the diversity in Anthony Pettis's strikes are going to be a little bit too much for Chiesa. I think that his kicks will really help him in this fight and really help him in uh, managing control and managing distance in this fight. He still has very good hands as well, but I also think that the body shots with his leg kicks are something that people have not really focused on here in the past few fights because of that losing streak, but he still has some of the nastiest body, body kicks in the game right now. I think that that will assist in in him being able to slow down Chiesa a little bit. And if they do get it to the ground, I think that Pettis will have a little bit of an ability to uh, have a little bit more conditioning in this fight because I think he successfully goes to the body a little bit better than a Michael Chiesa does. And eventually, I think he's going to land some real nice shots on Chiesa with a... Um, you know, with his uh, head kicks as well, you know, some of his boxing as well. Um, I think it'll be an entertaining fight, but at the end of the day, I think Anthony Pettis wins this three um, three rounds to none. I think that he wins this by unanimous decision. I think it'll be a good comeback fight for Anthony Pettis after having lost to uh, Dustin Poirier in a very strange fight where very entertaining, very close. And, you know, he wasn't getting dominated by any means against another top-tier lightweight but he had his rib um, rib injury that ha that sustained in that fight during a grappling exchange. So I do believe Anthony Pettis gets it done in this fight. Um, but Kiesa is definitely a live dog in my opinion. I wouldn't be surprised if he's even the betting favorite at this point in time. But I just believe that Pettis survives on the ground, maybe even uh, holds his own for sure on the ground. And then when they get to the feet, I just think he has far many, uh, way more tools than does a Michael Kiesa. All right, so next fight is going to be Al Iaquinta versus Paul Felder. This is another tough fight to call. Al Iaquinta has been out for quite some time. The pace in which he is actually fighting right now is, uh, you know, not very often. He had, let's see here, he had four fights in 2014, two fights in 2015, and... It was April fourth, two thousand fifteen. He didn't did he then did not return until April twenty second, two 
2017 and is now returning in April of 2018. So he waited two years between his fight between Diego Sanchez and Jorge Masvidal and then another year between the Diego Sanchez and this fight with uh, Paul Felder, essentially. Not exactly a year, but pretty close. So in saying that, this is going to be a very interesting test for Paul Felder and for Al Iaquinta. As good as Al has looked in his past fights, his victories may become off a little bit more impressively the night of than when you go back and look at it. The reason being is because his past few wins have been over Diego Sanchez, who's far past his prime, isn't the same type of fighter he once was. Jorge Masvidal, who that's a very good win, but it was a very controversial win as well. I went back and watched that fight, and I did go ahead and question, should Jorge Masvidal have won that fight instead of lost that fight? Um, pretty close split decision right there. I probably would have given it to Jorge Masvidal, but nonetheless, Al got that win. Then the next fights after that, Joe Lozon, Ross Pearson, Rodrigo Dam. None of those guys are in the um, elite part of that division right now. The the best win that Al has over anyone is actually Kevin Lee. Some other big names that he has on there. The only other real big name that I would say he has on there is Michael Chiesa, where he actually lost in the Ultimate Fighter 15 finale. So he doesn't actually has have an as impressive a resume as you would think, but he just looks so clean with his boxing, so good, uh, has had a really good ability to take down his opponents and, and uh, really win those boxing exchanges. I think that's what leads people to believe that he is in the elite of this, the division. I'm not saying that he's not, but I'm just saying that let's pump the brakes a little bit. I also think that time makes the uh, heart grow fonder of people, of course. Uh, you want to see these guys back in the octagon. He made a lot of headlines when he was going against the UFC and Dana White. He, every time he speaks out, you kind of want to hear him speak. But he's going up against a guy in Paul Felder who recently defeated Charles Oliveira, Stevie Ray, Stephen Ray, and then Alessandro Ricci. The last two being two guys that were pretty impressive. Charles Oliveira is a very tough out, a tricky guy to get past in either the featherweight or lightweight division. He's really no longer being considered a prospect that could potentially get into title contention, but I think he's always going to be somewhere in that 15 to 20 range when it comes to lightweights, right? And, and that's a very good talent right there. Stevie Ray was a guy that was being looked upon as someone that could really come up and be a real nice prospect in that lightweight division as well. He's had a little bit of a rough time of late. He lost to Cajun Johnson and Paul Felder in those last two fights, but I think he was a little bit robbed in that Cajun Johnson fight. He's got some good talent, so those are two very good wins for Paul Felder as well. At the end of the day, I believe that this fight could go either way, but I believe that Al Iaquinta really staying clean with his boxing, his ability to move, uh, really really uh, maintain his distance is going to help him in this fight. If this turns into a little bit of a dogfight, especially if they get into the clinch with Paul Felder, this is going to be a tough fight for Al. I don't believe that he's going to really want to get into the clinch too much with Paul. If he goes in for a takedown and is not able to get it, he should immediately get out because Paul will land some nasty elbows, nasty knees in that Muay Thai clinch. 
and especially if they get up against the cage, and if they get to the ground and Paul is on top of him, I mean, Paul is super vicious with his uh, with his elbows in his last two or three fights. The reasons for his stoppages are TKO elbows, TKO, TKO elbows, and TKO elbow and punches. So that shows how vicious he is and how... Um, how good he is with his elbows. I mean, they are devastating to watch. His opponents take uh, very, very good with them. In that Richie fight, he even used, uh, I believe, a step in elbow to crush uh, Richie's nose, and then that's what ended up leading up to the finish of the fight. So, got to be very careful when you're coming in close with Paul Felder. If they do get in close with each other. I believe that will be Paul Felder's range all day. He'll be able to make it into a little bit of a dogfight and get the win, especially because I do think he's got the more devastating power and punches with his strikes that come along with those. I think that Paul, in order to win, should also try to attempt to land some of his leg kicks. I think he's got some good leg kicks and if he really wants to stunt uh, Al Quinta's movement a little bit, I think that he should definitely utilize that weapon very nicely in this fight. But I do believe at the end of the day, even though it's a long layoff for Al, even though I just went over his record saying it's not as impressive as you would like to think so, um, I just believe that he's going to have the cleaner box and the cleaner movement. Um, he'll be able to maintain his range. He, As much as he talks and everything, he actually... Uh, fights with a lot of uh, IQ, high IQ at this point in time. He doesn't really try to get into brawls. He doesn't really like to try to get in the clinch and, and, and play that game against a guy that has a real advantage over him. I think that he's going to be very smart, very technical, uh, move around very well. I think he'll be a little bit too quick for Paul Felder as well because I do think that he's uh, a little bit quicker with his hands. And, and insane, so I think it'll be an entertaining fight. I think that Paul, if he does land, could definitely uh, put Diego Sanchez, or um, I'm sorry, Al Iaquinta in some very, very big trouble. But at the end of the day, I believe that this fight ends in a decision. I think that, um, I believe that Al Iaquinta wins by, uh, by split decision. I think it's a good fight as well, so. Alright, so that's uh, the predictions for the main card. Uh, let me know what you think down below in the comments. I could be totally way off, especially I know Tons of people are going to totally disagree with me picking Max Holloway over Habib Nurmagomedov. But it's just my belief that this guy is a special, special talent. The same way that people believe Habib is a special, special talent. These two fighters are some of the best fighters in the world. But it's my belief that this is just a bad stylistic matchup for Habib. Habib is a bad stylistic matchup for everybody, right? But there's only so many guys that are a bad stylistic matchup for him. I think there's two out there. I think that there's Connor, and I think that there's Max Holloway. I also think a third guy that is a bad stylistic matchup for him, that um, kind of a dark knight in this whole discussion, is another guy who could potentially move up to 155 at some point, Brian Ortega. Reason being, he doesn't care if you're going to take him down. He'll, he'll take that neck all day. He'll take your arm all day. I think that is a bad stylistic matchup for Habib. Those are the three guys that I view as being very dangerous for Habib to face. And, uh, you know, maybe the fourth being a George St. Pierre, but that's a little bit more favorable for Habib because I don't think that uh, St. Pierre has the type of submission ability that Ortega does, and he doesn't have the type of striking ability that uh, Max Holloway or Conor McGregor do. So, again... The way to look at this is Habib is a bad stylistic matchup for everybody, 
No doubt about it. But who are the bad stylistic matchups for him? And I think he's facing one of those guys in this fight. Now, you could come back again, six, six days notice, ankle injury, had to pull out of his fight last month. Totally understand that. I just think that this is a special talent. I think that he's one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world, and I think he'll go out and prove that Saturday night. If he doesn't, I totally understand. Habib is a monster as well, but that is just my belief. So let's just touch on the rest of this card real quick. Uh, we got some great fights on here. Carolina Kovacavich versus Felice Herrig. Let's just talk about this for a second. I mean, Herrig versus Carolina Kovacavich. This is a very intriguing fight. I would pick Kovacavich to win. I think that her high volume and striking and the fact that I think that she will be the better, more seasoned striker at this point in her career is going to really assist her. But she did have issues with Joanna Jonjacek as well as Claudia Gadelia as well especially with Claudia getting her down to the ground and submitting her by rear naked choke. Felice Herrig, on the other hand, is definitely going to have the advantage if they do get to the ground. Felice Herrig has very much improved dramatically here in her past few fights, even though she's already 33 at this point. I think she is either at the peak or hit the peak of her career because she has looked very, very good in her past few fights against Justine K- uh, Kish, Alexa Grasso, Caitlin uh, Curran, as well as Courtney uh, Casey as well, since her loss to Paige Van Sant. If Van Sant and Felice Herrig came across each other again right now, I actually would pick uh, Felice Herrig very confidently that she would be able to win this fight. This is how much improvement she's shown. I think that she's uh, pretty slick on the ground. She has some good ability down there, but also has really improved with her striking. That's going to be the key to this fight. If she can mix up the fight enough to where she can land some of her own shots and really start making Carolina question in that first and early second round, whether or not she's going to stand or take her down, then that's where I think it can get a little bit tricky for Carolina, especially because, like I said, Carolina uh, does have a little bit of a hiccup when it comes to her wrestling. She does have decent uh, takedown defense, but if she gets down to the ground, I think Harry could take advantage of that. But nonetheless, I'll take Carolina Kovacavich, but if Elise Herrick wins this fight, that will be a huge statement for how how much she has improved because, uh, like I said, I give her all the credit for improving to the point that she has at this point, but if she can be an, a girl like Karolina Kovacavich in this division, very impressive. Next fight is Ray Borg versus Brandon Moreno. This is going to be a fantastic fight, guys. Um, this could be, we're talking about Anthony Pettis, Kiesa getting to the ground, that being a little bit of a fun uh, matchup. This is going to be in my opinion, a very entertaining fight. The reason being is because a lot of times when you get two fantastic grapplers like Brandon Moreno and Ray Borg, who aren't so well-versed in the striking range, I would say that Ray Borg is a little bit better with his striking than Moreno, but when you get those type of guys that come together, a lot of times they equal out on the ground, and then what happens is this turns into a stand-up board where they just start letting bombs fly. I believe if that happens, Ray Borg will have an advantage. I do believe that he's a little bit more technical. He's got a little bit more power in his hands, um, but this could be a crazy, crazy fight here. I also believe that this fight still will actually go to the ground at some point's in this fight because neither one of them is a fantastic wrestler or fantastic takedown defense artist or anything like that. So I believe this fight does get to the ground. When it gets down to the ground, all bets are off here. I mean, this could go either way. Uh, it could be Ray Borg or 
or uh, Brandon Moreno that win this fight. I'll go with Ray Borg just by just by a hair, just for his striking ability. I think it'll be a little bit better than Brandon Moreno's, and, and I think that um, he'll be able to stay out of trouble on the ground as well as Moreno. But this could be a very entertaining fight as well. This is another candidate um, for... Um, fight of the night of course so we'll take a look at this fight it, that's going to be a very intriguing one as well um some other fights of note joe lozon's back on the card uh you got olivier aubin mercier versus evan dunham so that should be an interesting fight alex caceres versus artem lobov so expect conor mcgregor to be there in the crowd he does usually um you know come for his boy artem lobov that's one of his best friends right there if lobov w loses his fight against Caceres, do expect him to get cut. This is going to be a tough fight for both guys. I'd probably pick Caceres in that fight. You've got Beck Rawlings versus Ashley Evans-Smith, uh, Devin Clark versus Mike Rodriguez, and then Zabit Magomed Sharapov. Yeah, tough, tough, uh, <laughs> tough name to say, but Zabit has been very highly touted, and he's had some impressive uh, performances here in the octagon of late. This is the prospect to watch on this card. Uh, difficult, sorry that I can't say his name correctly, but, um, you know, he's had a submission rear naked choke against Mike Santiago, and then Shaman Marias, he won by Anaconda choke with that submission as well. He's 14-1, and one, hasn't lost since 2013. He's been on an absolute tear. The only decision, let's see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So in his last ten fights, he's they've all been wins, and the only fight to go to decision was uh, in November 16, 2013. So it's been quite some time since this guy has gone to uh, a decision. And so this guy's been finishing people left and right, whether it be TKO, KO, submission. So this is an absolute finishing machine right here. He's He got 14 wins and only two submissions in his career, or two decisions in his career, along with 12 finishes. So very impressive prospect to watch. That'll be on Fight Pass, so... Um, You'll definitely want to see if you can at least tune it for that. I think that was a good move by the UFC to promote this guy the way that they have for this prospect to have as hot a name as he does and go ahead and put him on Fight Pass because a lot of people are definitely intrigued. I'm sure a lot of fans of Habib Nurmagomedov are also very intrigued by this prospect also coming from Russia as well. So it'll entice people to go to UFC Fight Pass. But, all right, so that's all I have for y'all today. Let me know what y'all think, what y'all's fight predictions. Let me know in the comments. And then this is also going on my podcast, the MMA Fresh Take podcast, the same exact episode. Um, so I'll put the link down below. Um, so if you'd like to subscribe to the channel as well as the podcast, I'd really appreciate that. Let me know if you have any other comments, questions, or concerns. Until then, guys, this is going to be a fantastic card on Saturday night. I can't wait till UFC 223. Hopefully there's no other injuries or illnesses or sicknesses or trips into elevators or elevators crashing like CB Dalloway or, or whatever. So um, hopefully we get to the fight night and it's as good as the hype this this should be the best card of the year to this point. And until then, guys, I'll see you all next time. Bye.